At Wildwood Community Church, we are for following Jesus together to the glory of God. We're for the church, for the community, for the nations, and for the next generation. To contact us or for more information, see our website at wildwoodchurch.org. If you've been with us in 2022, you know that we have been walking through a number of different series in the book of Revelation. And throughout this study, we have seen that this is a revelation of who? It's a revelation of Jesus Christ. And we have seen Jesus revealed as the Lord of the church. We've seen Jesus revealed as the Lord of heaven. And over the last several weeks, we've seen Jesus revealed as the Lord of the earth, specifically as he takes his role as judge over the earth in the last seven years before his return to the earth. Now, where all of this is headed, friends, is in the month of August and September, we are going to be looking at how Jesus is also the Lord of the new heaven and the new earth, and we're going to be looking at that at, in Revelation 19, 20, 21, and 22. But today, we're going to be wrapping up our study of the Lord of the earth, um, which has been this series that has walked us through these last seven years before Christ's return in Revelation 6 to 18, talking about a yet future time, a time that has not yet begun, but a time that will immediately precede Jesus' return to the earth, a time where he will be seen as the judge of the earth and the Lord of the earth. Today, we're going to be in the seventh part of this series as we look at Revelation chapters 17 and 18. But before we look at Revelation 17 and 18, I want to set the stage a little bit by reminding us of the context of all of these chapters. Again, in the last seven years before Christ returns, Satan is going to be working overtime, trying to to influence and impact uh, this world, trying to tear it down and tear as many people down as he can. And the way that he will be doing that primarily will be working through uh, some human agency. Specifically, he will have one known as an antichrist. That's his nickname. He'll be a world leader who will gather all of the nations of the earth under his leadership. And he will have a religious leader working with him that is known as the false prophet. And that false prophet will require all the people of the earth to worship the antichrist as God. This is what will be happening in the last days. Now, when, when that happens, how will the false prophet require the world to worship the Antichrist? Well, we saw this back in Revelation chapter 13 in verses 16 and 17. The false prophet will come up with this kind of a system. He will cause all, both great and small, rich and poor, free and slave, to be marked on the right hand or the forehead so that no one can buy or sell unless he has the mark. That is the name of the beast or the number of its name. So the false prophet will come up with this system that forces everyone to worship the Antichrist as God. And if they do, they will receive a mark that will enable them to work and to buy and sell goods. But if they do not worship the Antichrist as God, if they remain faithful to the the one true God, if they remain faithful to Jesus Christ, then they will receive persecution. One of the amazing things that is indicated in Revelation is that very many people will take the bait. There will be many people in those last days who will worship the beast in order to keep their job and in order to buy and sell goods. And the question that you and I might want to ask is, well, was that a good decision? Is it a good decision 
to sell out the one true God for an earthly leader who might be able to provide for temporary needs. And the answer the scripture provides for us is that that is an awful trade. And this is a theme that runs throughout these chapters, but in chapters 17 and 18, we see it in even greater clarity. Now, this is important for us because though we don't live in those last days, all of us on a fairly regular basis are provided similar transactions. The world around us is tempting us to sell out our faith in God in order to maintain the respect of certain social groups, in order to keep certain vocations, in order to excel by the world's standards. Is that a good trade for us? The principles we'll see today from Revelation 17 and 18 remind us that in fact, it's always a bad trade to sell our faith in God out for anything this world has to offer. Now, where do we see that in these verses? Uh, There are so many verses in Revelation uh, 17 and 18 that I'm not going to read all of them for you. I would encourage you to read them later, but we'll be looking at select verses providing a survey of these two chapters this morning. We're going to see three things today. So what is the first thing that we need to see from these verses? The first thing we need to see is this. The world is having an affair. The world is having an affair. Now, what do I mean by that? And where do we find this idea anchored inside the text? Well, we find it right there in verse 1 of chapter 17. It says, then one of the seven angels who had the seven bowls, in other words, the angels who are a part of bringing God's judgment upon the earth, one of those angels comes to to John the apostle and tells him this, come, I will show you the judgment of the great prostitute who is seated on many waters. So there's this invitation to go and see another symbol inside the book of Revelation. Now, when we see that, it it grabs our attention, doesn't it? It's intended to. This is a provocative illustration to have us all tune in to what is getting ready to be described. So who is this prostitute? Well, we need to look at the rest of the verses because they actually define for us who the prostitute is. So what do we learn about this prostitute? Well, the first thing we learn is that the prostitute is seated on many waters Verse 1 says that the great prostitute is seated on many waters. Well, what are these waters? Well, verse 15 tells us the waters that you saw where the prostitute is seated are peoples and multitudes and nations and languages. This is a description of what? It's a description of our world, specifically the people who live in our world. So whoever the prostitute is has some connection to the things that are going on in this world. Well, the next thing we see is not just that it's connected to this world, but this prostitute has a name. And the name of the prostitute is Babylon, verse 5 tells us. And on her forehead was written a name of mystery, Babylon the Great, mother of prostitutes and of earth's abominations. By informing us that the name of this prostitute is Babylon, we learn something very specific about this this prostitute and who she represents. You see, Babylon is a biblical location that shows up in a number of different places inside of our Bibles. The first place that Babylon shows up is in Genesis chapters 10 and 11. Remember, God had said to humanity, 
Be fruitful, multiply, spread out over the earth, subdue it. And yet, what did humanity do? Did they listen to that command? No. As a matter of fact, they gathered together in a specific location. Do you remember where it was? Genesis 10 and 11 tells us. It was, there, was a, there was a big building there that they were trying to build. What was it? The Tower of Babel. So when we see Babylon, the roots of Babylon go all the way back to this location of Babel, where this tower was built. And that tower represented people rebelling against God, saying, God, we're not going to do what you say. God, we're going to make our own way, and we're going to, to make our own name in this world. So the spirit of Babylon is the spirit of rebellion from God. And, and very quickly, even though God judged the place of Babel and dispersed the people around the world, something began in Babel that continued in the hearts and lives of people. As a matter of fact, when you look at throughout the, the Old Testament, uh, there are often references to the people of Israel going after and worshiping the Baal gods. Have you seen that, B-A-A-L? There's evidence that the gods of Baal found their root all the way back in the false religion that was developed in the place of Babel. So it's this, this consistent theme inside of Scripture. It was a place of rebellion, saying, God, we're going to go our own way, we're going to do our own thing, and we're even going to form our own religions. Not only that, but you, you fast forward to the time of Daniel. And in Daniel's day, do you remember the, the nation that came and, and took over, the empire that took over and carted off the best and the brightest of Israel back to their homeland, it was the place of Babylon. It was Babylon who did that. And as they carted them away, the leader of Babylon at that time, a man by the name of Nebuchadnezzar, built a statue, big statue. And, and he said that everyone was to bow down and worship that statue. The statue was of Nebuchadnezzar himself as God. And it's another expression of this idea this idea of walking away from God, elevating humanity, informing our own way, even worshiping systems and ideas and religions that were just find their origin and evidence here in this world. You see, we, we have in Babylon this picture of something, this repetitive theme. And so when the prostitute here is named Babylon, we, we are reminded that it's talking about the system of this world, this world's system. And it's rebellion against God. It's found among people all over the earth. It sits on many waters, but it's a system that permeates society. Well, what else do we learn about this prostitute? We learn that it's riding the beast. Uh, verse 3 tells us, And he carried me away in the spirit into the wilderness, and I saw a woman, the prostitute, sitting on a scarlet beast that was full of blasphemous names, and it had seven heads and ten horns. Now, who is this scarlet beast? Well, if you look at that description, does it remind you of anyone that we have seen throughout our study of these chapters? It reminds you of the Antichrist. Revelation 13, 1 uh, provides a, a nearly spot-on comparison between these verses and this description. So what we see is the system of this world is working in concert with Satan's purposes at the end of time and is, is writing about upon the wave of the devil's deception. Now, what else do we learn about this prostitute? We also learn that she's wearing fancy clothes. 
Uh, We see this in verse 4. The woman was arrayed in purple and scarlet and adorned with gold and jewels and pearls, holding in her hand a golden cup full of abominations and the impurities of her sexual immorality. This is a description of one who is dressed in the finest garments and who is wearing expensive jewelry and who is drinking and eating from very pricey uh, different, different articles. What it, what it shows is that it seems like this prostitute, this world system is succeeding, at least for a time. While it's riding the wave of what Satan is doing in the world, it seems to be prospering in some way. Now, I want you to take a snapshot in your brain of, of this description, because we're going to come back to it in a minute. But we see that the system of this world is, seems to be succeeding, at least for a time. What else do we know about this prostitute? Well, we also know that this prostitute is drinking abominations and birthing sin, holding in her hand a golden cup full of abominations and the impurities of her sexual immorality. Drinking in and and spewing out all kinds of rebellion in all different ways into the world. The, The spirit of this world and its rebellion against God is inspiring sin of all kinds. And Babylon the Great is also called the mother of prostitutes. In other words, she's birthing something, birthing false religions, birthing deceptions that have gained ground and traction inside of this world. See, this is, this is what is happening, and it's described in this, this image of a prostitute. But one other thing we need to see, this prostitute is also said to be persecuting Christ and his followers. In verse 6, it says, And I saw the woman drunk with the blood of the saints, the blood of the martyrs of Jesus. What does it take to get drunk? It takes a lot of something. So what we see here is the spirit of this world is inspiring a lot of animosity towards Jesus Christ and towards his followers that has led to the martyrdom of many, many Christians, something that is happening even to this day upon the earth and will ramp up in an aggressive fashion as we head towards the end. You see, what we see in this picture of the prostitute is a picture of the system of this world. And so seeing all of this together, I want to go back and just ask the bigger question. Why is it that of all of the different pictures, of all of the different symbols, why is it that a prostitute is chosen by God to reference this dynamic of the world? And I think it goes back to this. See, we were created in the image of God. Every single one of us, all the people on the earth created in God's image. And because we were created in God's image, we were created to live in relationship with God, in dependence upon him, in obedience to him. That's how we were created. That's how we were designed. But though we were created and designed that way, humanity as a whole has been unfaithful to that call and has wandered away and united itself with other selfish, fleshly purposes. 
And when we, when we make that exchange, it is like a, a spouse who is unfaithful to their spouse. It is as if created world, created humanity is married to God and has had an affair with the God who created him by sleeping with the world. And if we do so for the payment of worldly gain or fleshly pleasure or sensuality, then we might be pictured as a prostitute unfaithful to our God. Now, there are probably a lot of different analogies that God could use, but he uses this one. Why? Do you find yourself getting a little emotional in this argument? See, if, if I, we're so used to saying this. If I say, you know, we, we are not to sin, you go, yeah, I know it. That's kind of how we react, right? But if I, if, I, if I remind us, hey, friends, do not live the role of a prostitute. Suddenly you go, well, wait a second, wait a second. And that's the intended desire. Don't sell out your faithfulness of God for temporary gain in this world. That is the picture of what we're called to in these verses. You see, the world is having an affair. And I think part of the statement of chapter 17 is a question to us, though the world is having an affair. The question is, are you? Am I? Have we traded out our faithfulness to God for some other agenda? Have we traded out our faithfulness to God for some kind of momentary gain in this world? If so, we might be living the life of a prostitute. And so I I want to, to ask the question, do we have a price? Do we have a price? Now, I, I want to just offer some suggestions of what some prices might be. One price might be the price of peace. See, if we're willing to be faithful to God up until the point that it creates some, some dissension or some, some trouble in our relationships and our family or those that we work with, if, if walking with God and being faithful to him causes some tension in relationships and we cease to be faithful to God in order to preserve that, then I, I would hazard the guess that maybe our price is peace. Maybe it's not peace. Maybe instead it's stuff. Will we be faithful to God in many areas up until the point that it impacts how we handle finances or how we steward the physical resources that God has entrusted to us? If that's the case, then maybe our price is stuff. Or maybe it's, it's not that price. Maybe, maybe it's power. If we will be faithful to God up until the point that it might lead us to be the servant of our neighbor instead of the leader of our neighbor, then maybe our price is power. Or maybe it's sensuality. If we will be faithful to God and faithful to him up until the point that it ca- where Jesus calls me to walk away from a sexual temptation that I really want to pursue, then maybe our price is sensuality. I think it's a relevant question for us to ask, given the illustration that is found here. Do we have a price? Well, friends, even as I say that, you probably are thinking, and some of you are are thinking of instances or examples in your own life where you sold out Christ in pursuit of something else. And your price in that moment, at least, was identified. Well, let me encourage you with another truth. 
the price that you sold out for, guess who was willing to pay that price for you? Jesus Christ was willing to pay the price for you to buy you back to faithfulness to him. He took all of the penalty that our sins deserve when he died on the cross to redeem us from the enslavement of the role of prostitute and invite us back into fellowship with him, invite us back into his household. Amen? This is what God has has offered us. And so if you are here today, and, and as I say these things, you realize that you have sold your life out to this world and you want a way back, know that the price has paid, been paid for your redemption. The price has been paid for you to be free and to return to God and to follow him in faithfulness. But even then, some here today or some of us at some point in the future might be tempted to think, but yeah, but is it really worth it? I mean, this world seems to offer a lot. Why not just take whatever this world has to offer? Well, the rest of 17 and 18 provide us some very clear reasons why that is a terrible decision. So what do we see? The first thing that we see about the world is this. The world will be defeated yet devour its riders. The world will be defeated, yet devour its riders. Now, what do I mean when I say that? Well, let's look at the verses again. When I say the, the world will be defeated, what we need to see is what is found in Revelation seventeen fourteen. It says, they, who's the they? The, the world system, Satan and his influence, the kings of the world in the end times will, will gather together and form an army and try to take Jesus and his followers out. They will make war on the lamb. But then this little phrase, it didn't even take a whole sentence. It's just between a couple of commas. That's how this is an overwhelming victory. The lamb will conquer them. Can, can, you, can you say that with me? The lamb will conquer them. Why? Because he's the Lord of lords and the king of kings. And those who are with him are called and chosen and faithful. What what an amazing picture. This world, though it rages against Jesus, will not be able to take him out. In fact, it will be just the opposite. And this world, though it rages against the followers of Jesus, will not be able to take them out. This world will not succeed in taking out the lamb or those who are the lambs. And so we have this this promise of the world being defeated. Why would we sign up for the losing team? Why would we attach our lives to the losing team? That's what verse 14 is, is arguing. But not only that, after verse 14, we get a picture of what the world will do and Satan will do in the end. Ultimately, it turns on itself and devours any connected to it. Oh, we see this. this, And then the the ten horns that you saw, they and the beast will hate the prostitute. The, The very system that is riding upon the beast will be turned on by the beast. And they will make her desolate and naked and devour her flesh and burn her up with fire. For God has put it into their hearts to carry out his purpose by being of one mind and handing over their royal power to the beast until the words of God are fulfilled. You see, this world promises a lot, but it's just leading us on. It's just a tease. 
Ultimately, what will this world do? This world will turn on those who are married to it and ultimately seek to devour it. The picture could not be more graphic. Make desolate, devour flesh, burn with fire. There's no future in being married to this world. Why would we leave the faithfulness of a God who never leaves us to pursue a world that wants to devour and burn and destroy? Now, I want to take us back to verse 4. Remember the, 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 the garments that the prostitute was wearing? The woman was arrayed in purple and scarlet and adorned with gold, jewels, and pearls, holding in her hand a golden cup. That's what the world promises. Purple and scarlet and gold and jewels. This is why this is the temptation of sin. It is exciting. It is fun. It is rewarding. That's what the world is selling. But if that's where it begins, where does it end? Verse 16 tells us, the 10 horns that you saw, they and the beast will hate the prostitute. They will make her desolate and naked. The world promises everything and delivers nothing ultimately. Why, friends, why would we leave faithfulness to a God who loves us, who redeemed us, who created us, who will provide for us forever? Why leave him in order to be married to a world that wants to destroy and leave us naked and destitute? That's the the logic and the reasoning inside of these verses. And that devouring that happens in the end, it's interesting it is something that, that God is, is a part of. God has put this into their hearts to carry out his purpose by being of one mind, handing over their royal power to the beast until the words of God are fulfilled. What in the world is all that talking about? I think it's saying that, that one of the things that God does in his judgment at times is he says, you want to follow and be married to this world? Then I will turn you over to this world to experience the consequences that come with that. It's a part of God's judgment, and we're told about it here so that we might repent and turn and stay faithful to him while we have time. And so we see inside of these verses this this idea that the world will be defeated, yet devour its riders. Friends, if you want to, to, to really get the real story, if you're a young follower of Christ, talk to someone that's walked with God for a while Talk with somebody that's lived some life and just ask the question, has it ever paid off for you to walk away from God and go your own way? What you'll hear is stories of regret and pain and sorrow. God knows what is best. Let us stay faithful to him, the one who has come to give us life and life abundantly, not to give us loss and to devour. So one of the reasons we see is this, but a second reason why we should remain faithful to our God is is really found in chapter 18. See, in chapter 18, we get this this idea is shared that the world is a, a terrible investment. The world is a terrible investment. Now, when I, when I say that, I realize that there are many in this room who are wired in and thinking about investment strategies. I mean, after all, it's 2022. Pick up a newspaper, and and every day it will talk about money that is ebbing and flowing, right? Um, Mostly ebbing, right? 
um, a market that is, that is not so bullish, but is more of a bear market. We live in a time in history where many investments that have looked appealing at one time are suddenly not delivering the return that they promised. Now, it's a little silly for me to get up here and tell you investment strategy when it comes to the things of this world. I, I really don't know what I'm talking about. There are qualified people that could talk in this conversation, and I'm not one of them. Um, but, but what I will say is that there is a connection in our strategy in thinking about this um, as it relates to spiritual things. There are bad investments with our lives because we can invest our lives in things that offer no return. Now, when it comes to investing in this world, when it comes to investing finances in this world, a good money manager would sit down with you and would say, okay, well, how long are you wanting to invest for? You know, if you're only wanting to invest for one day, you're going to day trade, you're going to buy this morning and sell this afternoon, then there will be one set of rules by which you make your decisions. And if you're wanting to invest for a year, maybe to get a down payment for a house or to, to buy a vehicle, then there'll be another set of rules that you'll play by. But if you were to be thinking about retirement, there's a whole nother set of rules that would govern the way that you invest. Well, friends, I, I would argue that as it relates to our spiritual lives, we should not be day trading in our spiritual lives. And we should not be just year trading in our spiritual lives and not even just retirement trading in our spiritual lives, but we should be eternally trading in our spiritual lives. Our perspective should be what is ultimately an investment that will last. And what we see in chapter 18 is that everything in this world is ultimately set for destruction. What do we see about this world system in chapter 18? Well, we see this opening statement in verse 2. Fallen, fallen is Babylon the great. This system that seems to be running and humming right now is ultimately doomed to destruction. It is going nowhere. And so that carries with it the, the religious systems apart from Christ. It carries with it uh, the, the worldview systems apart from Christ. And it carries with it the economic systems of this world. It carries with it the political system of this world. But inside of chapter 18, what we see is uh, specific comments about the economy of the world in the end, because it is such a temptation for us to live our lives for the purpose of accumulating and using stuff. Well, where does all that head? Chapter 18 tells us. It describes this ultimate bear market that is the end. Now, this judgment upon the world's economy is something that is judgment, and it is from God. Verse 6 tells us that uh, the, the world will be paid back as she herself has paid back others and repay her double for her deeds, mix a double portion for her in the cup that she mixed. In other words, the system of the world that has led so many astray will ultimately be judged by God in the end. We also see that that judgment is something that will happen quickly. It's not something that will happen over years. It is something that will happen almost instantaneously from the perspective of eternity. We, we see in verse 8 uh, that this is a plague that will come in a single day. We see in verse 17 that in a single hour all this wealth will be laid waste. And in verse 19, we see that for in a single hour, she has been laid waste. The economy of this world, the value of the stuff in this world will ultimately come to complete resolution within an hour. Investing in this world is a terrible investment when it comes to finding our ultimate identity and value 
and worth and direction. Not only that, but this is something that will impact all. You know, sometimes the fluctuation in stock markets affect those who trade stocks, but it takes a while to impact common people. But when the economy of the world is judged in the end, it will have a tremendous impact on the entire world. From kings of the earth in verse 9 to the merchants or the middle class of the earth who are weeping and mourning in verse 11 and to the shipmasters and the seafaring men and the sailors, the working class, and all whose trade is on the sea will stand far off and cry aloud. When this judgment comes, it will be far penetrating in every class and structure. There is no insulation from the judgment that will come in that day upon this world. It will impact all. Not only that, it will be all-inclusive. It will impact all industry. Uh, Interesting what it says in verse 11 when it talks about the impact of this judgment. It says, And the merchants of the earth will weep and mourn for her, since no one buys their cargo anymore. Cargo of gold and silver, jewels, pearls, fine linen, purple cloth, silk, scarlet cloth, all kinds of scented wood, all kinds of articles of ivory, all kinds of articles of costly wood, bronze, iron, and marble, cinnamon spice, incense, myrrh, frankincense, wine, oil, fine flour, wheat, cattle and sheep, horses and chariots, and slaves that is human souls. In the best way that they can communicate in first century language. That is a a full description of the economy, all falling under the judgment of God and changed in a moment. And once it happens, it will be swift and final and forever. Verse 21 tells us, then a mighty angel took a stone like a great millstone and threw it into the sea saying, so will Babylon, the great city be thrown down with violence and will be found no more. The system of the world, including its false religions, including its economy, including its political structures will have a a millstone attached to it. It will be thrown into the ocean to sink to the bottom. Friends, This language is about as clear as it can be that it is a terrible investment for us to invest and make this world and its principles be our guiding light. Because the stuff that we might gather, we might ride with it for a moment, but ultimately it is all going away. So what are we to do? What are we to do? Well, We find an answer to that in verse 4. When a voice from heaven comes down, Jesus speaks to John and lets us know what we are to do. We are to come out of her. Who's the her? Step out from the system of the world. That doesn't mean that we stop living here. It doesn't mean we stop evangelizing here. It doesn't mean we stop serving here. But it means as far as our perspective on the world and who we're taking our marching orders from, we are to step out from this world and find our full allegiance in God. We saw it last week. The description of us as his followers steps away from and out from under the principles of this world to follow the lamb wherever he goes. Friends, the world is a terrible investment. And I just want to encourage you today, as we have seen throughout these verses in 17 and 18, 
There is an allure in this world, an allure that says, ride with me and your life will be better. But that temptation ultimately leads to destruction. I'm not here today, and these verses aren't here today, to kill anyone's fun. They're here to provide fair warning for where rebellion from God heads. We have a loving God who created us on purpose and for a purpose. And our lives are blessed and flourish when we walk and step with that. It begins by turning to Christ and trusting in him and then following him wherever he goes. Would you pray with me? Father God, thank you so much for just this great set of verses today that have reminded us of very big and profound ideas. Lord, there is a temptation in this world for us to wander away from you and to join our lives to the principles of this world. May may we resist that temptation, seeing where all this heads. May we stay faithful to you and trust you to provide for all of our needs. Lord, we thank you so much. And I pray, thanking you for the forgiveness and the grace that is available for the redemption that is found in Christ. And I pray all of us would find our identity in him. We thank you and pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.